This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello Marlins fans, thank you for tuning in to episode 37 of Fish Bites here on the Fish Stripes podcast and Slam Radio Sirius XM. I am Eli Sussman, managing editor here at Fish Stripes, filling in this week for Danny Martinez. He should be back next episode and moving forward, but for now it's a rare opportunity for me to add my own perspective to the audio side of things here at Fish Stripes. We're coming up on this big intersection of all the major pro sports in the U.S. with the summer dying down and baseball coming to an end, uh, football just starting up over this, these past couple weekends, and naturally those things will draw a lot of attention for you guys down in South Florida. One could say that the Marlins are battling for attention, but probably losing that battle just with the size and reputation of the other franchises down here between the Dolphins and the Heat and the Panthers, those guys coming up pretty shortly. Uh, But at least this past Sunday, the Marlins put together the best entertainment product by far, and the week overall was just a very interesting one on the field and off the field with the team. So we're going to go through all that as usual, reviewing what happened here over the last week with the Miami Marlins. Another major topic we're going to touch on on this episode is a deep dive on Sandy Alcantara, the Sandman, uh, the recent birthday boy who had himself uh, pretty much the best weekend imaginable, and very quietly is putting together one of the better rookie campaigns period by a Marlins pitcher ever on a number of different levels. So we're going to look into, of course, what he did recently, but this season overall, uh, what he has left coming up here over the final few starts of 2019, and then where he fits in with the situation of the franchise, because just a very unique profile, unique skill set that he has, and one that I'm increasingly optimistic is going to keep him in the rotation long term. But we're going to go deep on that And really, the bulk of this episode is going to be somewhat of a twist from the usual Fish Bites format. This is the first podcast episode period that we've done on Fish Stripes since the end of the 2019 Minor League Baseball regular season, and that's a very critical aspect of the Marlins organization right now with an elite farm system. So many of what we believe are going to be the long-term building blocks are still in the minor leagues, and we're going to look at some different names that you may not be used to hearing names that you certainly haven't heard here on Fish Bites, ones that maybe even on earning their stripes we've glossed over a little bit during the season. Uh, when we naturally, as uh, analysts and fans, we fixate on ranked prospects, guys that have a certain pedigree, certain tools that are evaluated by the experts. Beyond that, though, there were so many impressive performances in the Marlins farm system. I put together an article recently naming an all-minor league team 
which was highlighting players at every single position, uh, pitching-wise, position player-wise, in the Marlins organization, guys who had success this season, uh, compared against their peers at other levels of the organization. Looking back at the past week of performance for the Marlins at the major league level, they played a pair of series, the first at the Pittsburgh Pirates, a three-game set, winning two out of those three games, a lot of back and forth in those where you could really see, frankly, that both of those teams had a lot of flaws and some of the routine mistakes they made, but it made for very compelling baseball. The Marlins winning a series, which was a very rare sight at coming off an ugly month of August for this team. Then this past weekend, hosting the Kansas City Royals, a really rare interleague matchup between those two franchises, and one that had a huge implications when it comes to 2020 MLB draft position, or if you prefer, the current 2019 tank race, as the teams entered in very similar position, the Royals winning two out of those three games, the Marlins actually outscoring them in the series by a single run, and then of course capping it off really emphatically on Sunday by dominating the Royals 9 to nothing overall this past week. The Marlins go three, three and three, and for the season overall, they are forty games below five hundred at fifty-one and ninety-one, a little bit behind last season's pace as we come up on these final few weeks. Individually, the hitter that stuck out most to me for his positive impact on the Marlins had to be Garrett Cooper. Played some of both first base and right field this past week, and he delivered in the highest. Individually, the hitter that stuck out most to me this past week for his positive impact on the Marlins had to be Garrett Cooper. Played some of both first base and right field as a hitter, came up in a lot of high leverage situations, and he delivered. Oh, this is a fly ball to left center field. It's got a chance, and it is gone. A home run for Garrett Cooper. And the Marlins, with homers in the ninth and 10th, have now taken the lead. Game one of the Pirates series, extra innings, tie game. He hits that game-winning home run to put it away. The very next night, he almost does the same thing again. This time, didn't go into extras, so it was in regulation. Breaks up a 3-3 tie with his late home run. Unfortunately, that game is best remembered for Jose Ureña failing to lock down the save and suffering a walk-off loss. Uh, Cooper finishes off his week with three hits on Sunday in that blowout win, and overall for the week, puts up an OPS nearly 1,300, five extra base hits, and a lot of very solid contact. There was no cheapies in there, as I mentioned, playing two different defensive positions. So far in September, look across all of Major League Baseball, and Cooper is one of the most valuable players in the league so far. It's barely over a week, but entering Sunday's game, he ranked third among all qualifiers in win probability added so far for this month. Number one was old friend Christian Yelich. Number two was old friend JT Real Muto. And number three was Garrett Cooper. Nearly one full win probability added in barely over a week's time. That's extremely hard to do. That's more than he had done for this entire season leading up until now. And that number goes up even more, uh, including Sunday's effort into it. Cooper had a pretty significant slump, if you remember, through the end of July, through virtually all of August. He was in the middle of the lineup, and he was dragging down that lineup, striking out a lot, not making as much consistent hard contact as we were accustomed to seeing, and it gave you a little bit of pause about what exactly he's going to be for this team moving forward. Is he really a steady bat that they can rely on, that they can factor in having some role on their major league roster moving forward? And if you did have any doubts about that, he has put those to bed really in a single extraordinary week. 
overall for the season now, establishing himself overall to be much better than even a league average hitter and someone that really shines out in this otherwise pretty weak Marlins lineup. So very proud of him. An honorable mention to Starlin Castro, who had some very similar offensive numbers as Cooper did, and his own really impactful home run. Uh, and then an additional home run on Sunday, his 18th of the year, he's on pace for a career high in homers, which is pretty notable for someone who's been around the majors now for a full decade. Uh, he was the one that started the scoring on Sunday, and then they didn't really look back from there. Uh, an OPS well over 1,000 for the week. Generally, this entire second half, he's been one of the better players in the National League. Yeah, a little bit too late for the Marlins, looking uh, not so quietly to trade him at the deadline. They weren't able to do that. Pending free agent, so all this production uh, will help Castro's earning power, but likely for another team, as it's still unlikely the Marlins will pick up his $16 million club option for 2020. For the season overall, though, he looks a lot like the player that he was last year, just a little, unfortunately, an uneven performance for the Marlins liking. Nonetheless, a really good week for him. For Pitcher of the Week, we're splitting it between two guys for very different reasons, the first being rookie left-hander Brian Moran, 30 years young, finally making his Major League debut this week with the Marlins, very effective with AAA New Orleans this season. The Marlins, as you know, have a lot of needs in the bullpen, might as well get a look at some guys that are having success one level below, and he gets called up officially on Tuesday in Pittsburgh, makes his debut on Thursday, and who does he face? On the Pirates, a former Marlins draft pick who has traded a few times and has since established himself as their third baseman is his younger brother, Colin Moran. Mention the numbers for Colin, 288 against lefties this year. Cold oh, strike three. How do you like that? First big league strikeout is his own brother. <laughs> An unprecedented situation in the modern history of Major League Baseball to have a player make his debut against his sibling, and in this case, succeed against his sibling, his more accomplished sibling, and all the reaction afterwards was just awesome. One of the more notable, on a national, international scale at least, it was one of the more highly publicized moments of this entire Marlins season. Moran then pitched again against the Royals this weekend and retired both batters he's faced. Overall, six batters faced this week, five of them retired. Uh, the only exception being a hit-by-pitch of Josh Bell in Pittsburgh, but otherwise pretty darn perfect. For the second pitcher of the week, I teased it at the start of the episode, is Sandy. He pitched twice this past week, once in Pittsburgh, once at home. Combined 16 innings, allowing just four runs, only one, two, three hits in the first game, four in the second, seven total hits in those 16 innings, piling up the strikeouts is something we didn't see early in the year. Uh, the first game I thought was almost as good as the second, which is somewhat of an unpopular opinion. Even though charged with four earned runs, a couple of those were on the bullpen when they didn't strand runners that had, they had inherited from Sandy in a game that he probably could have gone longer if he had some run support. That's been the issue this entire year, and especially over the past few months. Uh, if entering the second outing on Sunday, he had gone 12 straight starts without earning a win, which is kind of ridiculous for a guy that consistently pitches pretty deep into games. And once again, finally snapping that drought on Sunday, dominant from start to finish against the Royals. And that is a disclaimer that really both the teams that he faced are not exactly top-notch competition. Even so, I mean, two starts going 16 innings combined, and the big gem was on Sunday at home against the Royals. 
an efficient game, pounding the strike zone throughout, piling up eight strikeouts, and finishing it off all by himself. Sandy's first start as a 24-year-old, having celebrated his birthday the previous day, is a historic one. His second time going the distance this season, he joins Dontrell Willis in 2003, D-Train, as the only rookies in Marlins franchise history with multiple complete game shutouts. In the process, he piles up more strikeouts, 131 this season. It is the most strikeouts by any Marlins rookie since Jose Fernandez in 2013. We'll be circling back to Sandy later in this episode and the kind of role that he has with the Marlins' controllable young talent moving forward. But first, we wanted to shine the light on the next wave of talent coming up to Miami in the very near future, or ones that have just arrived, who had great production during the 2019 minor league season. One of my latest projects on fishstripes.com is the Marlins' all-minor league team from this past season. I tried to put a unique twist on what's not really an original idea. I'm sure you've seen the concept before in trying to recognize players who did well. Mine does the same. 10 position players, 10 pitchers in the Marlins organization in 2019 who produced, who put up really good statistical numbers, and also anecdotally just were really valuable to their teams in different ways. It does not factor in prospect pedigree whatsoever. You know, the scouts have a very important job in identifying certain tools that players have and projecting what those tools will translate to at the highest level of competition. We do plenty of that discussion on our prospect show, Earning Their Stripes, and also on the website and on Twitter. We talk about top prospects plenty enough. This does not factor that into the equation. We're looking at the top-performing Marlins minor leaguers. In the process, there's a correlation there. that If you perform well in the minors, it certainly does help the way that you're perceived uh, by talent evaluation experts and certainly does open up some eyes about what he might be able to do for the Marlins someday. That being said, we're just looking at guys that did really well in 2019. The spots are filled by one position player at each of the standard defensive positions, catcher, first base, second base, shortstop, third base, left field, center field, right field, two flex players who saw heavy playing time at multiple positions this past year without necessarily getting everyday reps at any one spot and showing their versatility that way. Five traditional starting pitchers who saw a lot of regular reps for one or multiple of the affiliates pitching every five or six days and building up their innings. Three starter-reliever hybrids who were not necessarily the top-priority developmental cases and therefore had to bounce back and forth between different roles on different schedules this season. And then we cap it off with two pretty conventional relief pitchers who worked in the later innings sometimes in closing or set-up roles to try to shut down the opposition. We begin filling out this roster with a very familiar name. It's catcher Will Banfield, a high draft pick of the Marlins in 2018, age 19 season spent with the low-A Clinton Lumber Kings. The first thing that will stick out to you is that Banfield did not hit much this year, finishing just below the 200 mark without much on-base skills to show for it. However, he had such a big impact on the other side of the ball receiving a lot of unheralded prospects and getting great results out of them, uh, helping the pitchers directly with his excellent defense all the way around. In the first half of the season, throwing out more than 50% of attempted base stealers. As a 19-year-old playing in full season ball, absolutely extraordinary. That 
caught stealing rate dropped off a little bit in the second half as opponents had to get a lot more selective. The reputation got around that this is a guy that was not going to let you go anywhere, and those numbers regressed a little bit in the second half. Thankfully, he did show some in-game power this year. That was nice to see against competition several years older than him. Frankly, there weren't very many standout catching performances in the Marlins system this year, and that's what allowed Banfield to get the spot. We did set a minimum of 250 plate appearances to be considered for the all-minor league team. That's what keeps Tyler Heineman out of consideration, even though he put up monster numbers for AAA New Orleans over the last couple months of the year. And in doing so, he forced his promotion to the majors in September, so congrats to him. Our official honorable mention at this position is Nick Fortes, also from the 2018 draft. He was with High A Jupiter this year, uh, hit a little bit better than Banfield, but there's such a big separation on the defensive side of things. That's where Banfield shines, and that's why there's a lot of confidence in him being a major leaguer someday is because he's already so well-developed at a young age in different aspects when it comes to behind the plate and how difficult it is to find catching talent developing in, in baseball these days. Moving on to first base, it's 24-year-old Lazaro Alonso, formerly signed out of Cuba in 2016 by the Marlins, spent most of his season with high-A Jupiter, and then had a little cup of coffee with double-A Jacksonville. That's probably where he'll be next year in the Marlins system. And the numbers are, are great, especially when you adjust for the conditions of the Florida State League. That was a big factor when putting this team together, is noting the environmental factors that affect these different leagues. High A Jupiter in the Florida State League is one of the most pitcher-friendly leagues on earth <laughs> and probably the most pitcher-friendly league, certainly, in affiliated minor league baseball. Yet, Alonzo was number one among all qualified hitters in on-base percentage, number two in OPS, number four in batting average. That's Those numbers come from the Jupiter Hammerheads. He had a significant slump early in the year, April to May, 0 for 28 at one point. Uh, aside from that, he was brilliant, and maybe that gave you some concern about what exactly is going to happen, but they were still confident in him moving forward. He played regularly the rest of the way. He had that brief call-up in the middle of the season, then was sent down after the Marlins traded for Lewin Diaz, who is generally regarded as a more well-rounded prospect. The defensive impact isn't really there for Alonso. He doesn't give you any versatility. He plays first base, and his spot at the highest level would be as a designated hitter. So if you want to see a Cuban player on the Marlins roster in the near future, then you want to pray for the DH coming to the National League in the near future. That's probably where he would settle in. The offensive approach was really impressive, though. This is a guy that did not put up very good numbers in the minor leagues when he first signed with the Marlins. Uh, he showed some promise last year, and then another big step this year. A little bit old for the level. We don't know all that much about how this bat would play in the major leagues eventually. He's going to have to prove it a lot in Jacksonville, I'd say, in 2020. Uh, but a guy that is very well-liked by his teammates in the Marlins organization. And it's just fun to have someone that consistently rakes because this was a big issue, especially in 2018 in the organization. Just the lack of dependable bats that they had to look forward to. So he's a guy that, although the future is a little bit murky, in the present, he absolutely raked. Very proud of Lazaro Alonso. Second base was the easiest position to fill on this roster. The presumptive Marlins Minor League Player of the Year, Isan Diaz, who's now on the Marlins roster, but had spent most of this year with AAA New Orleans at his age 23 season, tapped into his raw power like never before, benefited a little bit from the new baseball they're using at AAA this season, uh, but yet those numbers absolutely leap off the page, led 
the entire organization with 26 home runs. Before that call-up, he was an improved defender. He cut down on his strikeout rate. He was durable. He earned all sorts of accolades during the season, including a serious XM Futures game selection and a AAA All-Star selection. He was so consistent, aside from a relatively early slump on the schedule, he at one point had home runs in five consecutive games, the most impressive production from any player in the organization this year, so now he has a chance to prove it at the major league level. We've noted already on recent episodes that he's gone off to a slow start, and that continues to be the case, so it's going to be very intriguing storyline to follow in September at the major league level, how that translates. Regardless, he has this 2019 season uh, on his resume, extremely impressive, and it's a very exciting one considering the lack of certainty the Marlins had at second base moving forward. He's going to be that guy that gets every opportunity to establish himself. At shortstop, uh, a real breakout prospect who was not really on anybody's radar entering the year is Demetrius Sims, who was in his age 23 season, starting with low A Clinton, moved up to high A Jupiter, and he was great at both levels. A 2017 Marlins late round draft pick, someone that Going into the year, you didn't even project playing every day at shortstop in the organization because of the presence of Jose Devers and Osiris Johnson. Unfortunately for Osiris, he suffered a season-ending injury before the season even began to his leg, and then Devers missed several months in the middle of the year due to an elbow, a forearm strain. Between those two, the Marlins had a lot of availability in the middle infield, especially at shortstop, and Sims was great. Above all else, Sims distinguished himself defensively. Proved to be very sure-handed, fielding balls to both sides of him, only committed 10 errors the entire season, while also showing off a great throwing arm to make the spectacular plays that were out of the ordinary. Very good at turning double plays. A little bit old for the level, that's worth noting. He turned 24 midway through the season. Like with Lazaro Alonso, we're just not going to know all that much about his eventual big league potential until he does this at double A. All that being said, this is a guy that was relatively obscure within the Marlins system entering the year, someone that didn't really cross our minds when we were doing 2019 previews. The way that he took advantage of this opportunity is really impressive, so I look forward to seeing what he does moving forward as well. Congrats to him on the inclusion on this team. The honorable mention at shortstop is going to be Christopher Torres, 21 years old. He spent this year with Loe Clinton, the team that's still playing in the midst of a playoff run the one Marlins affiliate that still has league championship aspirations. Torres had an extremely statistically odd year with one of the highest walk rates in the system. Early in the year, probably too patient in that it resulted in a lot of strikeouts and he wasn't able to make a lot of quality contact, but that changed midway through the year. He got much more aggressive, finally got his batting average above 200, which was a struggle for him for a while. His defense not quite as strong as Sims. That was the big separator for me, is that just not quite the same all-around player this year. Still, he's a guy that has a pretty significant future, someone that used to be on Marlins' top 30 prospect lists. He'll probably move up to Jupiter next year, um, if not at the start of the year, then at least midway through. Uh, but So Torres is still an interesting guy to watch for, just not quite as successful as Sims was here in 2019. At third base, our selection was Nick Reddy, who spent this year with short season A Batavia Muck Dogs at age 22, a new draft pick coming out of the Air Force, the son of a former major leaguer in Randy Reddy, and 
someone that faced an obstacle to make it onto this roster because we set that minimum at 250 plate appearances for consideration. He came in only in June because of the draft, and yet by playing every single day and being really consistent, he was able to clear that threshold, a clear standout at third base, which was otherwise a pretty weak position within the Marlins organization. He led the entire organization in doubles this year, despite entering midway through the year, and also had a handful of home runs. He's a former college home run derby champion when he was with the Air Force. Strikeouts are a little bit high. The defense is a little bit iffy moving forward. Even so, it's a really obvious call at third base considering the competition he was going up against. And he has a very interesting storyline because as a service academy graduate, he's expected to serve some time in the military in the future. And the way to kind of continue being a professional baseball player around that is if he qualifies for the 2020 Team USA Olympic roster. That's going to be a fascinating story to follow heading into next year. He certainly helped his cause with his production in Batavia this summer. Also taken by the Marlins in the 2019 draft, left fielder Peyton Burdick spent this year between Batavia and Loe Clinton, 22 years old, a senior signed by the Marlins in the third round of the draft, who absolutely exploded onto the scene once he got into pro ball. A multi-sport athlete growing up in Ohio, he discussed that on our podcast feed a few months ago. You can find the interview with Eric Ose on A-Ball with Eric Ose, where he discusses his upbringing and start to his pro career. And he's been hitting since day one, man. I mean, he put up an OPS in the mid-900s this year, played playing every single day. And the effort with which he plays really sticks out. You can see it in the way that he runs and plays defense. 11 home runs during the regular season, 10 outfield assists in a partial season because he was coming out of the draft out of Wright State University. Really impressive athlete, someone that will be tested a lot as we go to higher levels. The question was about what his hit tool would be and whether he'd be able to consistently make contact in professional baseball. The strikeout rate a little bit worse than average this year, but he made such great quality contact and used all fields this year that it didn't matter. He was extremely successful for Clinton. He's probably the big driver in their playoff run to this point, their MVP, if you will. As the sample size grew, he got more recognition from the scouting community, currently regarded as a Marlins top 30 prospect by MLB Pipeline, almost assured to move up to high age Jupiter in 2020. A really dynamic athlete, guy you want on your roster and in your clubhouse, looking like a draft steal for the Marlins at below slot value. In center field, at the total opposite end of the spectrum, it's Lewis Brinson, age 25 this year, spent a chunk of the summer with AAA New Orleans, traded to the Marlins originally, of course, in 2018 in the Christian Yelich deal. The stints at the major league level have been very frustrating this year, but he did stuff the stat sheet with New Orleans, slashing with a 270 batting average, 361 on base, 510 slugging, 16 home runs and 16 stolen bases in 81 games. Maybe that performance helped his confidence, but is not, to this point, translated to the Major League level. And there's no guarantee that he's going to be at the Major League level in 2020 for the Marlins. He could be on the 2020 Marlins All-Minor League team as a depth piece in the outfield because there's just so much competition at that position moving forward. In 2019, at least, he had this success. He was still a priority to develop, develop within the Marlins organization. And you hope, uh, against all evidence, you hope that he has some success these final few weeks and builds some momentum heading into the offseason. In right field, perhaps the biggest breakout of all position players in the organization, Gerard Encarnacion, 
age 21 this season, spent it with Loe Clinton, high A Jupiter, signed by the Marlins originally in 2015. This was his first crack at playing on a regular basis for a full season. He absolutely delivered, played pretty much every single day, led the farm system with those 553 plate appearances. He put up a 120 weighted runs created plus. That's compared to the league average, which is 100 at any level, and he significantly improved his defense. That was a big red flag heading into the year as to whether he could stick at all as a corner outfielder, but his arm is a bazooka, and he had better range and instincts this year. Still a question moving forward a little bit, uh, where exactly he fits in with all the outfielders coming up through the system. The fact that he was able to hit at this level against significantly older competition is very encouraging. It'll be interesting to see what that assignment is for 2020, whether he starts at Jupiter or already moves up to AA Jacksonville. He's being somewhat rewarded for this breakout year by being selected to the Arizona Fall League, where he'll be playing on the Salt River Rafters, one of seven Marlins players who are participating in the AFL. I'll be keeping a very close eye on how he does down there, going up against even better competition than he faced during the regular season. Uh, No matter what happens from this point on, a successful 2019 for Gerard and Carnacion. Then we move on to the flex players that I teased earlier, ones that split time between multiple positions weren't necessarily starting every single day, but impressed so much that they forced their way onto the roster. The first of those is Austin Dean, age 25 this season, AAA New Orleans, drafted by the Marlins way back in 2012. Even with the juiced ball at AAA, his 337-400-635 slash line jumps off the page, an OPS over a thousand, and even adjusted for league average, it's 45% better than the Pacific Coast League average. He was very consistent. He's very clutch. He is a lifetime outfielder, but learned to play some first base when they had somewhat of a log jam at that position during the middle of the year. He learned to play first base, so that ad versatility should help him in the show. Now he's back up with the Marlins and getting yet another opportunity to prove that this kind of bat can translate because the contact issues aren't there. And really, the power is somewhat substantial as well. There's some good reason to have hope that he can like survive in the major leagues, at least in a limited role. He's going to try to prove that down the stretch. The other flex player on our roster is left fielder, right fielder Stone Garrett, who was with the AA Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. He is, anyway, you slice it, the MVP uh, of at least the position players in Jacksonville this year. 23 years old, drafted by the Marlins in 2014, and he's on here primarily for his defense. And at both corner positions, he had some of the best highlights you'll see from any pro baseball player this entire season. You probably have seen them already because they're featured on SportsCenter and other places that went semi-viral for the fact that he was leaping at walls, going over the walls, laying out in the gaps. Just a great athlete and great instincts. Offensively, he led the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp with 14 home runs, nearly twice as many as anybody else. He will be eligible for the Rule 5 draft this offseason. And we've touched on already here and in previous episodes all the outfielders the Marlins have. What is his role exactly moving forward in the organization? That's a big question mark. And I would be surprised if he's protected on the 40-man roster. The Marlins are probably just going to take their chances that he's not taken by another team this winter at the Rule 5 draft because other teams might have a lot of intrigue in someone enjoying this kind of breakout year. Uh, Just... Really good persistence by him now over five years since the draft to put it all together somewhat this year, even with some questions about his on-base ability and all-around value. He certainly has a nice niche as a defensive replacement, 
and as a great clubhouse presence. Ten players down, ten to go with this Marlins all-minor league team reveal. The ace of the organization this year, right-hander Sixto Sanchez. His age 20 season spent mostly with Double A Jacksonville with a few starts in Jupiter. He was traded to the Marlins entering 2019 in the JT Real Muto blockbuster. It's Josh Beckett, Jose Fernandez, and Sanchez in a class of their own. Those are the three most talented and universally hyped pitching prospects in Marlins franchise history. That's the company that this guy is keeping. Swing and a hard grounder up the middle. Twine, backhanded stabs behind the back. Second baseman's got it. Throws to first for the out. And this inning is over. 6-0 Sanchez now through 24 innings in a row without allowing a run. The one long-term concern about his physique is that he's a little undersized at six foot even, a little bit flabby. Will that allow him to be durable in the major leagues? We're not going to find out yet, but we can find out soon. This was a huge step forward for him in 2019 with an ERA in the mid-twos. If you take out one terrible outing he had in July against Chattanooga, his ERA drops to 220 for the entire summer against competition that was mostly older than him. He'll have three home runs in that one start and only three home runs the rest of his starts combined, just extraordinary, a really dynamic player with three great pitches, his fastball, his slider, his changeup. His changeup might be the best one of those three, someone that was very consistent outside of that one blowup, and simply the most gifted player in the organization. He came in with huge expectations. So far, he has lived up to those expectations. He is the consensus top pitching prospect in the organization, and most see him as the best overall prospect in the organization. You're going to see him in Miami next year, hopefully early in the season, and the expectations are deservedly high for him. A job well done in his introduction to new surroundings. The next starting pitcher being recognized here is left-hander Trevor Rogers, age 21 season, spent mostly with high A Jupiter, finished up with a promotion to double-A Jacksonville, drafted by the Marlins in the first round in 2017. He caused some concern last summer, not going to lie, where he put up his ERA 5.82 with low weight Greensboro and was hit around pretty hard. But this year he cut that ERA in half while remaining in a starting role. He led the entire farm system with 150 strikeouts. This is exactly what you hope for this year. He has a very... Our next featured starter, left-hander Trevor Rogers. Age 21 season, spent mostly with high A Jupiter with a late season promotion to double A, drafted by the Marlins in the first round in 2017. I mean, not going to lie, he raised some concern last summer when he put up a 5.82 ERA at low A, but here in 2019, he cut that completely in half while going up against much superior competition. He was the leading strikeout artist in the Marlins farm system, 150 Ks. This is exactly what you wanted to see from him. He showed really consistent fastball command. His breaking ball was difficult for lefties and righties to get a good read on. He has a lot of deception in his delivery. A much different build than Sixto in that he's six foot six. He's skinny. He comes from the left side. It's a great different look. And you can envision those guys being in the rotation together someday and forming a really nice duo where they have those contrasting styles that are difficult for any one hitter to feel totally comfortable with. Rogers was one of the last big-time acquisitions under the old ownership group coming on top of that 2017 draft class, and so we should be pretty grateful for that one decision. It seems to be working out pretty well. This guy has a lot of traits that you can see translating to higher levels of competition, and we spoke to him early this season on a podcast. He seemed to be a very genuine dude who's easy to root for. Next starter up on our list is right-hander Edward Cabrera, 
age 21 season spent mostly with high a jupiter with a late summer promotion to jacksonville just like trevor rogers did he was signed originally by the marlins in 2015 for a low six-figure signing bonus and he has delivered on the potential they thought he had a big breakout for him just recently added to the mlb top 100 prospect list on mlb pipeline he was already there on baseball america he took a huge step forward in 2019 the results showing what we already knew he had the potential to do allowing one base runner per inning for this entire season a whip around one the fielder independent pitching was one of the best in all of minor league baseball prior to his promotion the high 90s fastball that we always knew was there is now being commanded more consistently the slider is a more practical pitch than it used to be he's really putting into play and understanding what counts to use it in the success he's had against both right-handers and left-handers, he was just brilliant. There's really no other way to describe it. He was one of the top performers in minor league baseball this year and someone that has renewed everybody's faith that he could be a starter at the highest level with the stuff he has and with the polish he's shown. Really exciting year for him and someone that might make a run at the major league roster as soon as 2020. Speaking of plus velocity, the number four starter on this roster, right-hander George Guzman, spent this year with Double-A Jacksonville in his age 23 season, originally traded to the Marlins in the Stanton deal in 2017, opened a lot of eyes this year. He led all Marlins prospects in innings pitched, all of them, with 138 and two-thirds innings for a guy that, even more so than Cabrera or anybody else, there was this assumption, like a foregone conclusion, that he was going to have to eventually be translated to a reliever going up because he didn't have control of his pitches. He didn't have a reliable secondary pitch coming off that high heater. He wasn't consistent, all yada, yada, yada. And he just shattered a lot of the doubts that people had, especially late in the year. He finished super strong. He had a run in August where he was virtually unhittable at the double A level. He set a career high at one point with 13 strikeouts in a single game. Just so impressed by him generating a lot of soft contact, and there's no doubt that he was also helped by his defense. That was a critical factor to consider here, is that guys who spent the whole year with Jacksonville got a lot of help from a lot of standout defenders, including Stone Garrett that we mentioned earlier and others that saved a lot of runs for them that otherwise might not have been saved had they been in different organizations. Still some concerns moving forward with Guzman, the walk rate being a little bit high, the ground ball rate being very low, 32.9% this season. If you do that at the major league level with the fact that run scoring is so predicated on elevating the ball, uh, you're flirting with disaster, even playing home games at Marlins Park. These are questions for another day, at least for 2019 with Jacksonville. He was really steady for them down the stretch. They almost made a late playoff run to sneak in in, into the second half, and he was a huge part of that. Rounding out the starting group is going to be right-hander, Zach Gallen, no longer in the Marlins organization. He was acquired in 2017 in the Ozuna trade, and then he was traded away by the Marlins in July at the deadline for Jazz Chisholm. Age 23 season, where he was dominating for AAA New Orleans for a big chunk of the year before forcing his promotion to the majors. You don't want to honor him on this team considering he's no longer here, and now that he's having success with the Diamondbacks organization, it's only natural for fans to feel bitter about it. But you simply cannot tell the story of the 2019 minor league season without Zach Gallen. The numbers he put up in the Pacific Coast League are absurd. Mentioned previously, it's one of the most hitter-friendly leagues that you can imagine, and yet he put up video game-like numbers. 
a 177 earned run average, a 152 batting average against in 91 and a third innings prior to his call-up. Uh, the disparity between his strikeout rate and his walk rate was elite, no matter what level you were pitching at. He was repeating the AAA level from 2018, and he seems to be taking full advantage of that, of understanding how to maximize his results at that level to a large extent. Those have translated to Major League success as a rookie, so congrats to him. Well, there's really no other way to say it. He has certainly improved leaps and bounds as an asset for the Marlins between that original trade acquisition and then trading him away. So there's no reason for the Marlins to feel bitter about it. You know, he's he's a guy that even overachieved their expectations, and now he's suited to have a long career at the major league level. Five more pitching honorees to get to on this all-minor league team, including the starter-reliever hybrids like left-hander Luis Palacios. This was his age 18 season in the Gulf Coast League, signed originally by the Marlins in 2016, and his numbers, they don't even make sense, man. A 27.6 strikeout rate minus walk rate in the GCL. To put that in perspective, uh, of all minor league pitchers with at least 40 innings pitched, he was the youngest to have that kind of strikeout-walk ratio. He just pounds his own again and again and again, and he doesn't really get burned for it. Only a couple home runs allowed this year. He was coming off a crazy year in the Dominican Summer League, and you just don't have a lot of information about those guys. You don't really get a good look at them. It was very exciting to see him come stateside and have very similar results, so consistent with the way that he attacks his own and generates weak contact. He just it couldn't ask for anything more in terms of performance at this level. The tools don't necessarily leap off the page, and so he's going to have to prove himself with just results moving up the food chain. doesn't have that mid to high 90s fastball. He, he works in the much lower 90s and relying pretty heavily on his curveball instead of a more diverse repertoire. He'll have to prove it at higher levels of competition, but he couldn't have possibly done anything more this year to really legitimize who he could be moving forward for this Marlins organization. A low-profile guy who just keeps on performing. Next up is Daniel Castano, the left-hander who split this year between High A Jupiter and Double A Jacksonville, traded to the Marlins along with Gallon in that Ozuna trade in 2017. He was by far the quote smallest piece of that package. There was no real expectations of him moving up the chain and having success. The stuff is very underwhelming, and yet he made it work for him this year. Kind of out of nowhere in the middle of the year, he was very off the radar until being put into the Jacksonville rotation in what was it late june early july and then he just had this run of complete dominance even more so than george guzman it was right up there with sixto sanchez level quality and it's stunning and it's extremely encouraging if you're a marlins fan that included a complete game that i watched that was one of the best pitching performances i saw from anybody this year where he piled up 13 strikeouts and no walks in a complete game he was great for that big chunk of the summer an ERA overall in the low threes. His fielder independent pitching was even better because he kept the ball in the ballpark. Only four home runs allowed in 119 innings. Yeah, I don't know exactly what the Marlins are going to do with him. He does not have much velocity at all, and I don't know how many bats he's going to miss moving up. Then again, he's just surprised a lot of people with what he's done with Jacksonville this year. It was really cool stuff. It wasn't supposed to be one of the headliners of this really pitching-rich farm system, and he's forced himself into that conversation. Good for Daniel Castano. One more of these reliever starter hybrids is Tyler Jones, drafted by the Marlins in 2018, 
a lot of pitching with high with low A Clinton and then moved up to Jupiter, age 23 season. He was a jack of all trades, the kind of position they put him in, the versatility that was required. He had outings that were as low as three batters faced and ones that went six and two-thirds innings. Like he was constantly stretched out and then condensed with his workload, and yet he kept on chugging. He overcame relatively unlucky 324 batting average on balls in play, and yet still put up an ERA in the low twos, 2.03. Drafted out of Wichita State, he um, he's a nice find. There's not much more to add to that. Just a good guy at generating ground balls, and we'll see how this stuff plays up as he moves forward with Jupiter. Finishing up this segment with the relievers, Alex Vessia, also drafted in 2018, just like Tyler Jones, saw time in Clinton, Jupiter, and Jacksonville, all the way up to double A in his first full year out of the draft. His age 23 season, total dominance. The way that he misses bats is unrivaled by anybody else in the organization. A 17.6% swinging strike rate. Over one-sixth of all pitches that he throws are swung at and missed at. Just incredible. The highest in the Marlins organization by far. He allowed only 13 earned runs this whole year, a 176 ERA, and no unearned runs either. So that's legit. Like, that's all him. He didn't even let the defense make mistakes behind him by the way that he was able to miss bats so consistently. He even had one rare opportunity to hit, which you don't see much as a reliever. But once he got up to double A, there was in a position in extra innings where he had to bat for himself. And he drew a bases loaded game winning walk off walk. Here in the bottom of the 11th, the 3-0. Fastball low, ball four. It's a walk-off walk for Alex Messia in his first ever plate appearance. And after a scoreless 10th and 11th, he's going to get mobbed over at first base. It was, it was incredible, and that's something that he took a lot of pride in, having spoken to him right after the season. He liked to show that elements of this game that people didn't think he had. Not super high fastball velocity, but a very high spin rate, and that's what allows the fastball to play up a more effective velocity than actual velocity, if you understand what I'm getting at there. The final pitcher that we'll touch on is reliever C.J. Carter. Just like Vestia plowed all the way up to A in his first full season, it's his age 22 season, a tiny guy. I think he's listed at close to six feet, but eyewitnesses will tell you that he's much shorter than that. He's one of the smaller players on the field. Uh, 165 pound frame. Doesn't throw with much velocity, but he gets you with his deception and he gets you with his creativity in his delivery. We have had some highlights go up on the Fish Stripes Twitter feed at Fish Stripes during the season of what he does with his feet and what he does with his release point. He's really sneaky, and it was really effective this past year. A 1.51 ERA when he was with Clinton and Jupiter. He had one bad outing with Jacksonville that we're not going to hold against him. And a really unconventional prospect that's going to be tested against the best competition in the world. Because along with Gerard Encarnacion and along with Vesia, he's part of the delegation that's going to represent the Marlins in the Arizona Fall League beginning next week. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. You know, he's got to hit his spots, and he needs to continue to be very uh, unpredictable with the way he releases the ball. It, just a really interesting find that you wouldn't have expected to get much attention at all in pro ball, and now that he's had success initially, he's going to be given the benefit of the doubt that he could succeed with challenges moving forward. Some honorable mentions on the pitching side that didn't quite make the roster. Chris Valamont, who's since been traded to the Twins, 
put up great numbers with Clemson and then with Jupiter and then pitched a couple times against Jupiter later in the year and had success. So it looks like the Twins got a really interesting guy there. Jake Walters with low A Clinton. He was in the rotation for much of the year and had a lot of success still pitching in the playoffs. Umberto Mejia, uh, Brian Moran, who we mentioned earlier in the episode, now in the major leagues, the way he was effective in the hitter-friendly conditions of the Pacific Coast League with the kind of stuff that he has was a big surprise. Brett Graves, another reliever, double-A and triple-A, had some major league experience in 2018, but spending this year in the minor leagues, he was very polished and very consistent. And finally, Tyler Stevens, a right-hander who made it all the way up to triple-A at the end of the year, fastball changeup guy that has a great idea of what he's doing on the mound out there. The Marlins have more options than we could fit on this roster. Like I said, I wanted to limit it to 20 to keep the standards very high for performance, but between the honorable mentions, there was... 30 to 35 guys that I really liked in the Marlins minor league system this year. And it gives you a better understanding of why this is regarded as an elite farm system by all the talent evaluation publications. The depth is there. The upside is there. And assuming some durability from their top talents moving forward, these guys are going to make for a very strong core at the major league level for your Miami Marlins. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline if and when these intriguing towns break through to the major league level they'll be joining sandy alcantara by all accounts he's a fixture on the marlins roster going forward and i'm sort of surprised that we've reached this point already here in just his rookie season that's why i wanted to spend a few extra minutes on it full disclosure i feel like i've flip-flopped a few times on my assessment of sandy because of his unusual skill set and the way that he approaches batters obviously regarded very highly when he was Acquired by the Marlins in the Azuna trade, he was the centerpiece of the trade, the one that was widely thought of as a top 100 prospect, and he made it to the majors a little bit later than expected as a starter. It was pretty far along in that 2018 season, and once he did, he was inconsistent. I liked what I saw on the days that he was on. It seemed that when he could challenge hitters, he was having a lot of success, and that that inconsistency from his 2018 season would iron itself out over time. The peripherals were pretty ugly. The fielder independent pitching was below average, even though his ERA was in the low threes. So there were some parts of his game that seemed due for regression, and we saw some of that here in 2019. Overall, though, the hot streaks have outweighed the cold streaks. He leads the Marlins in every significant category, and as mentioned at the top of this episode, he has been one of the more successful rookie starting pitchers that the organization has ever had. It's not like Sandy is under the radar or anything. He was the Marlins' lone all-star representative here in 2019, uh, but that selection was panned by a lot of people, that he was somewhat undeserving, and frankly, he wouldn't have been selected if MLB didn't have that automatic all-star rule for at least one representative per team, that he was somewhat of a mercy selection to get the Marlins some exposure, and he frankly was not like a great pitcher for much of the first half of the season. He had a nice hot streak around Memorial Day, and then for much of June. Overall, though, his strikeout rate was one of the lowest in the league. He was benefiting from some good luck, it seemed, uh, defensively. Not just good defenders behind him, but just plain old good luck. 
in that by performance, he wasn't even necessarily an average major league starting pitcher, and he certainly didn't seem to be the best pitcher in the Marlins rotation at the time, just happened to be the one that was most durable. And even to this point, he's made every scheduled start. Uh, Where my thoughts have started to change on him a little bit is what he's done since the All-Star break, and I guess more specifically over the last month or so, where the ERA is even higher than it was during the first half of the season. To, to remind you guys, in the first half, pre-All-Star break, a 382 ERA, and that was in his first 17 starts. Since then, a, a 435 ERA in his last 11 starts. You look at that and you don't see what the big deal is about, but uh, just from watching him every day, I feel pretty confident in stating that he's better as the season has moved on, even as he's pitching innings that he's never had to before in a professional season. His strikeout rate has gone way, way up. It's now since that all-star break, his strikeout rate is pretty much league average for a guy that was struggling to miss bats during the first half of the season. Uh, the walks are down a little bit, and just the depth that he's giving them in these games is most remarkable uh, of all, because that's the one big deficit that a lot of teams have as they're building their teams, is finding people that can eat innings. This has been a year-round Major League Baseball that has been so unusual in the style of play. One like trend that is most alarming is that bullpens have higher ERAs than starting rotations. It's more difficult for these teams to maintain leads in the later innings when they go to what are supposed to be these hard-throwing, late-inning, put-it-all-out-there specialists that are supposed to be dominant, and they haven't been dominant. Teams are relying so much on their bullpen that those bullpens are weighing down, and therefore having guys that can give you that length are even better assets than they used to be. Sandy is now emerging as one of those guys on a Marlins team that we've seen a lot of great pitching through the year. Danny has covered that pretty consistently week in, week out about how this was one of the better starting rotations in the league for a chunk of the season, how they had more quality starters than they had rotation spots for. There's been some regression since then. We need to admit that some of these pitchers have not been quite as effective as initially hoped as the season has worn on. Sandy is an exception to that. Sandy is the one that has made every scheduled start. And what he's done is he's made some interesting adjustments. For the season overall, Alcantara has been hesitant to actually put his pitches in the strike zone, but we've seen the shift in that approach from him recently, oh, especially over the last 30 days. This is according to Fangraphs. He's among the league leaders, among qualifiers in the percentage of pitches in the strike zone, nearly half his pitches. He's actually throwing over the plate where they would be called a strike if if the opponent doesn't offer at it, if the batter does offer at it, we see them just not making great contact, and he needs to trust in his defense there. The way that he's able to get opponents swinging over the top of the ball and hitting ground balls, he's been among the league leaders in double plays induced this year. But what's even better than inducing double plays is getting those guys out without even having runners on base to be doubled off. As things line up, Sandy is projected to have three or four more starts remaining in the season, the next being on Friday against the Giants, then five games later against the Diamondbacks, after that the Mets, and again, depending on the size of the rotation, he could be available for that season finale against the Phillies or get squeezed out prior to that. Uh, regardless, all those games would be on the road, so that's an interesting test for him because his splits this year have shown that he issues a lot more walks when he's away from Marlins Park, just less efficient with his pitches, uh, not quite as confident in attacking the zone. I want to see that tested against his opponents, regardless of the quality of the opponents or the specific lineups that he's going against. It's all about the approach at this time of year. You don't want to play the results too much. You want to look at the independent variables and the peripherals, whether a guy is getting into good habits, ones that lend itself to future success. Sandy Alcantara has had a good rookie year. Nothing he does these final few outings would take away from that. 
but they still matter. There is this surplus of pitching in the higher levels of the Marlins organization, a great problem to have. It's Pablo and Caleb, Eliezer Hernandez, Duggar, Jordan Yamamoto, this next wave coming up led by Sixto and Edward Cabrera, but then Nick Neidert and Trevor Rogers and Braxton Garrett. You're not going to be able to squeeze all these guys in the same rotation at the same time, and if Sandy has a lot of pride and wants to stay in this role long term, if he wants to be starting playoff games for the Marlins a few years down the road, assuming they make it there, if he wants to just have a big impact on when this rebuild turns the corner. He's already a very valued member of this clubhouse. He's someone that's respected for his philanthropy. So early in his career, spent his 24th birthday organizing a softball tournament to raise equipment for underprivileged kids in the Dominican Republic. This is a guy that has the potential to be one of the faces of the Marlins organization, and he has all the talent in the world. We're seeing some of it come together, but still some adjustments are going to be needed, and that's what we're paying attention to, both with Sandy and with other young, controllable players over these final few weeks. The results themselves shouldn't really be overanalyzed too much because the quality of competition is very uneven at this time of year. Guys are playing with different motivations, not necessarily to impress the way that the Marlins players will be. But you look at the peripherals, you look at the approach to the game, uh, hopefully you want to see consistency over these few weeks in every time they go out onto the field. And the individuals on this Marlins team are going to be taking them seriously themselves to hope to prove themselves for what's likely to be a new manager in 2020 and for a front office that's going to have much higher expectations in 2020 than they had during this current season. Thank you to everybody for listening this week and putting up with my Eli Sussman style full coverage of the Marlins from us on the main website, fishstripes.com, or follow us on any of our social media feeds at fishstripes on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We put a lot of attention into making sure you guys are informed about everything happening around the Marlins organization. Danny should be back next week, and we're expecting a very special guest. You're going to be one of the first ones to get a hold of that conversation. To do that, just go to fishstripes.com. Or subscribe to Fish Stripes on your favorite podcast platform. We're on all of them. We're trying to make ourselves as accessible as possible. Always open to your feedback, whether it's in reviews or social media, email. Get a hold of me. Make sure to tell us what kind of Marlins coverage you want from us. It's a big responsibility for me to run Fish Stripes, but I find it very fulfilling. And I take a lot of pride in doing it the right way. I want you guys to stay on top of me and make sure that this is still the quality Marlins outlet that we've created. And that we continue building it up moving into 2020 and beyond. Go fish.